Hi, I'm Mike. And I'm Dave. And join us every Thursday for a new episode of Two Player Bros, a podcast about two guys who play way too many video games. Join me and Dave as we talk about the latest in Xbox, PlayStation, PC, and VR news, previews, and reviews. We have it all, and we play it all. And join us every other week for Post Game, where we play through and dive deep into our favorite modern classics and new releases. That's Two Player Bros, available every Thursday wherever you get your podcast. part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Do you like beer? Do you like podcasts? Do you like beer podcasts? Then check out Crackin' One Open, a podcast about brews, news, and pop culture reviews. Every week, we crack open a new craft beer from breweries around the country. And sometimes the world. We'll talk about how it was made, what's in it, the history of the brew, and the brewery. Then we'll give our tasting notes, and while we're finishing up, we'll talk about some of the latest goings-on in the world of pop culture. So check out Crackin' One Open with Mike and Elise, part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith. And I'm Andrew Tahada. I am a blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a freelance writer with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a film and its connection to the DC animated movie universe, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This is yet another DC Animated Podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC Animated Podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That's just a few months after Rosario Dawson made her film debut. Oh, nice. 1995 in an NC-17 movie. So uh, she was real young. So don't go watch it, you creeps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, her journey has been quite an amazing one because she is now our titular character here with Wonder Woman as we are talking about Wonder Woman Bloodlines. Yep, we're here. (laughs) (laughs) At a runtime of 82 minutes, uh, we have Sam Liu teaming up with Justin Copeland for his 2019 film, which kind of reintroduces us to the proclaimed Princess of Themyscira here. And this cast includes, as we mentioned, Rosario Dawson is back as the amazing Amazon uh, fun fact, Rosario Dawson actually played another Amazon and another Wonder Woman production, which is very similar to this film. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she got an upgrade. Yeah. Congratulations on the promotion. <laughs> Alberta know this wasn't going to stop Jeffrey Donovan from voicing Steve Trevor. We have Marie Avgaropoulos, who is voicing Vanessa Capitellis, a.k.a. the Silver Swan. Orange is the new Black star. Adrian Seymour is playing Etta Candy. And this is the first time that we have a Black woman playing Etta Candy. She got reintroduced as a Black woman in the comics of New 52. And she was possibly going to be a Black woman during the failed pilot episode of of, um, the Wonder Woman pilot series back in 2011, I believe, where Adrian Padalecki, is that her name? Yeah, that was was Adrian Padalecki in that one, yep. I've seen that pilot. It is glorious. It is really good for real. (laughs) And wrapping it up, we have some heavy hitters here with voice actors. If you're a big fan of animation and the versatility of voice actors like we are, you'll notice that Kimberly Brooks voices Cheetah and Giganta. We have Courtney Taylor as Dr. Poison. And finally, from a different world, she voiced many iconic voices, but we have Cree Summer as Queen Hippolyta and Medusa. Oh, yes. That's why it sounded so familiar. It took me back because ah, <laughs> the beautiful Cree Summer. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for your beautiful voice all these years. It's been great. Thank you, Cree. All right. So that was a bit about our cast member for this film. So it's time to dive into this movie as we are introduced to the cold open of our film, which is probably the longest cold open in history. Beats any SNL record. Jesus Christ, this is like seven episodes of SNL put together for this open. It is, it is lengthy. And it has one of the rare distinctions of confusing me about the timeline of this film within the first 20 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> because Steve Trevor, uh, our, our loyal flyboy, is being attacked by a bunch of parademons. 
So this immediately is like, when were parademons on Earth? It was during Justice League War. I was like, okay, I remember that. I was there. Mm-hmm. But then Steve Trevor crash lands on Themyscira, the island of the Amazons, and presumably meets Wonder Woman for the first time. So now I'm wondering, how do these two movies line up? Because the parademons are everywhere in war, but in war, people knew who Wonder Woman was. Uh, what's going on? <laughs> what's oh going on? I mean, at least we do know that Steve is okay because Wonder Woman saved the day, pulled him out of the wreckage. She takes him over to the island of Themyscira where he is on a slab getting healed by the legit called the Purple Healing Ray. There was no catchy name for this thing. <laughs> hey, look, if it's going to save me on my health insurance premium, call it whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. As he's being healed, they're talking, they're getting a chance to know each other. Uh, Steve is just basically calling her an angel this entire time. And it, this is one issue that I did have. It's like he keeps calling her angel, doesn't really call her by the title of princess at any point. And I'm just like, you're on a distant island, sir. There's royalty and you're alone. Put some respect on her name for one second. Yeah, I think for like that most of that introduction, he's still stuck on the angel thing. I think eventually he realizes she's royalty. Like he meets the mom and the queen. I don't remember if he does call her princess. I don't remember a lot of things. But uh, (laughs) yeah, at first it is kind of weird. It's like angels, like, no, she's a a monarch that just saved your life. But she definitely needs to help him more because the queen sees a man and, you know, men on Themyscira are not welcome. They did not pay the cover charge. So the Amazons lock Steve right up. And they're now deliberating what to do with Steve, really. Princess Diana decides that she's going to jump ahead and save him herself. So she enters the jail, knocks out the guards. And as Steve is just more and more questioning, it's like, how are we going to get out? Like, basically questioning, can she even do anything? She punches a hole through the wall and is able to escape with Steve in a very kind of reversed role that we normally see of the feminine hero who is floating down with our dude in distress as they're trying to make their way over to a ship so they can escape because one of the big things that came out of their conversation was Diana realizes realizes that she needs to go out into the world because parademons are coming into existence and they need to shut them down because a war is coming. But before Diana can get off the island, she has to face her mother. Her mother does not want her to leave and go to man's world. Can anyone blame her? Because I certainly don't. But (laughs) Diana has stolen some relics from the Amazons and her mother decides to fight her and try to keep her daughter on the island. And I got to say, I loved this fight scene so much. It was so well animated. Dust clouds form up from like spin moves from power slashes, everything. So animators, this is beautiful work. Thank you so much for giving us like, for basically having time on this film. Unfortunately, Diana's fighting power and prowess is not enough to defeat her mother. And as her mother is telling her that, are you really sure you want to leave for man's world? She takes the lasso of truth, wraps it around her hands and tells her mother to ask her again, proving her dedication to this now cause that she has to help Steve. The two of them leave on the ship with the stipulation now that because they have left the mascara, there is a mystical block that is now put within their minds so they'll never remember the location of the island again. Yeah, and I do like this turn because it's kind of glanced over in a lot of versions of the story that Wonder Woman can't, literally cannot go back, at least when she first leaves. So I do like that they spent some time to really get into it and does come back later which is nice. So this uh, will follow up, but there's something about this sequence that comes up later and I'll, I'll, I'll lump it in with another issue I have later. But for now, they get back to the man's world to stop the parademons off screen because we never see another parademon again. <laughs> and Wonder Woman decides to get to know human culture better by living with a family. And she meets up with the last names that I'm sure you can pronounce and I will mangle. (laughs) Yes, we are 
introduced to Julia and Vanessa Capitellis. Thank you, my classical major, for giving me an opportunity to use this knowledge right here and now. Uh, <laughs> so just want to say that Mama Capitellis, she is basically every West Indian mom that I've ever met in my <laughs> entire life because she is telling her daughter, we have company over. If you don't get this house in order, right now the only thing that was missing was the loud church music that was playing honestly <laughs> but you know Vanessa her daughter isn't really having it she just feels she seems like one of those teenage angst-ridden individuals as she just does not want to help clean this house because she like, there's a sense of underappreciation that Vanessa might have experienced her entire life the doorbell rings and Vanessa goes to open the door and we get a chance to see I guess kind of like this new unwanted sisterhood being created here between Vanessa and Wonder Woman now. For Vanessa, she feels like her mother is directing most of her attention to Wonder Woman, which I mean, it's fair. It's Wonder Woman. But here's where, okay, we can already got to the problem I was going to talk mention earlier. <laughs> <laughs> so we get a montage of the years going by. Vanessa grows up. She becomes more outwardly emo, I guess, is the best yes. way to put it. This is one of the few times where I would have liked to see them show more than tell because sure, it's one thing to see Vanessa changing her outfit and becoming a little bit more withdrawn and ignoring Wonder Woman's calls, but it doesn't give us the time to emotionally connect to Vanessa and see how her mother is not paying attention to her. We're just essentially like, yeah, mom, you weren't paying attention to me. Look, see, she changed her outfit. It's like, well, that is one choice. That's one way to do it. Or you could actually show it happening more. <laughs> the movie is 82 minutes, right? Yeah, it's 82 minutes. And we get pretty much a 20-minute flashback sequence. And a lot of it is this montage. There is one good thing I will say that did come out of these moments is a dialogue between Vanessa and Wonder Woman. It's clear to Diana that one of the things that ends up coming up in this movie is the issues of daughters trying to live up to the expectations of their mothers. This is where Diana and Vanessa tend to bond a little bit more on. So as they're talking, Vanessa's sharing her story about how she, her destiny is pretty much written for her. Her mother was an archaeologist. Her grandmother might have been an archaeologist too, I, I think, or it might have been her father. Somebody else in her family was an archaeologist. So she only saw herself going into that role, a role that she does not like. And this is the, di this is the dialogue that I appreciate to hear of Wonder Woman telling her that you can actually be whatever you want to be. Like, what, does it, what interests you? As Vanessa sharing what is an interest of, to her, she asks Wonder Woman, are you sure this is actually something that you want to do? Like, you really want to be a hero? And Diana replies with, I might not succeed, but this is what I choose to try. Which is such a powerful line to me, because this is the first time that we got a chance to actually hear Wonder Woman speak like this. I think in all other movies that we've had in this universe, she's always been kind of like, a side thing for Clark or a, um, a powerhouse whenever it comes to a fight. But this line really struck me in a way that I felt like this movie should have focused in more on this kind of dialogue versus giving us a montage of Vanessa, like you said, growing up and becoming emo, not showing how, it, how she was influenced to this lifestyle. Yes, I, I completely agree. This is one of the moments where Wonder Woman really shines and we really get to see her character. It's going to tie into my RT alteration later, uh, more things about Wonder Woman, specifically how she's portrayed throughout this movie, but this is a highlight, definitely. Although we've been calling her Wonder Woman up to this point, she actually oh, right, didn't right. have a code name <laughs> until the end of this montage sequence where she's put on this new outfit. It's a great new outfit. It's very sleek, form-fitting. It's not, you know, objectifying. It's a great outfit. And they're like, hey, what are they calling you? And Diana looks at the camera and we get a title drop. Wonder Woman. Yeah, um, the last title drop for Hush happened after Batman fell 8,000 feet and cracked his skull <laughs> open and the silhouette became the logo for the movie. Here, my name's Wonder Woman and you get a title drop. There's, there's a little bit of a difference between those two movies. <laughs> 
the production value clearly yeah. was not catered and not split up evenly. Especially because also tying it back to with Superman's own. Like we have the Trinity here. The Trinity are getting their last movies. You had Superman, Death of Superman, talking about how the, he's always going to be there. Bam, Death of Superman. Then you had Reign of Superman kind of have a similar feel. Hush doing that same thing. Wonder Woman just, it honestly just felt like somebody just forgot to actually add in the dialogue here. And I know that Invincible kind of does something similar. Uh, yeah, but the, so when Invincible does it, it's tied into the episode and they make a very right. conscious decision to do it. And it usually doesn't take 20 minutes to get to the title drop unless you're trying to yes. make a specific point. But this <laughs> is about the 20 minute mark where we get the title drop after all of that prequel stuff has happened. And now we're in the present day. I, and within the prequel stuff, there were multiple time skips. So, yeah, it, it, it's a it's a bizarre it's a bizarre opening. It's a bizarrely long mm-hmm. intro. And I'm not sure it panned out. I get why they cut it off like that, but it was a weird introduction. So after this long intro, we're in the present time, two crimes are committed. One, Vanessa steals something from her mother's boss. And two, Steve grows a goatee. These crimes (laughs) are both equally unforgivable, but we have to deal with Vanessa's first. Yes. Wonder Woman goes over to to the, the Hall of Justice. We finally get a chance to see it in this universe. While there, Julia Capitellis somehow has a, has a pass to enter the building along with Steve Trevor. And she's talking with them and that's when she finds out that Vanessa is involved with something, stole the item from her boss, Veronica Kale, from this big pharmaceutical company. We immediately jump over to now that Vanessa has decided to keep her half haircut style. And she's going to meet with somebody to make this deal. She has a suitcase in her hand and out pops out Dr. Poison and the villain soon to be named Giganta as they're talking and basically saying that like, give me the item now. But at that moment, who should pop through the window but Wonder Woman because she, along with Steve Trevor, make their way over to the warehouse with Mama Capitalis in tow. And I have to ask, why is Mama Capitalis even there? That is a great question. Like, legitimately, she could have waited outside in the car. An even better question of the scene, one of the most unintentionally hilarious moments of the movie, Wonder Woman goes and gets up to Giganta, and Giganta starts growing. And after she grows, Wonder Woman goes, Giganta, I knew it. I mean, did you need her to grow? Did you right, not exactly. know that was Giganta before she did that? You <laughs> we were looking at a scale figure of Giganta this entire time. Nothing changed about her. Nothing. Her appearance doesn't change. She just gets taller. It's like, why, why did it take you until she transformed? <laughs> also, another moment, Giganta, you get no respect from me right now because you should be ashamed of yourself that you are you grew 50 times your height and you still got punched through the roof. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, kudos to Wonder Woman, of course. Yes. But it, it's almost like the transformation sequence was completely pointless. Right. <laughs> exactly. Well, so Wonder Woman just distributes the butt whooping of a lifetime to Giganta. Unfortunately, the firefight leads to Vanessa dropping the briefcase, Dr. Poison picking it up. Steve Trevor is shooting people alongside somewhere. And as everything calms down a little bit and people are being either escaping or being carted over to jail, we see that Mama Capitalis was hit in the firefight as everybody is frantically trying to save her. Well, actually more Vanessa and Diana are trying to save her. Steve is somewhere around. I I don't know what he's doing, but he's just like, he doesn't understand the angles of how Mama Capitalis got hit. And Silas Stone no longer has the award for worst parent in the DC universe because Mama Capitalis, with her dying breath as she is being held by her daughter, calls out to Diana instead. Yeah, that's going to give you some severe mommy issues. And I don't blame you. That's going to take some therapy because Mm -hmm. that was so messed up. And I'm still searching for the high and the low of... Back, seeing Hank Henshaw's entire family get obliterated uh, a few episodes ago, even though we knew him for two minutes, was so devastating. Here, when Julia dies, I don't feel anything. And 
partially it's because even though she's been talked about a lot and mentioned a lot, she's only on screen for about five minutes. Yeah. And we never really get to know anything except she likes Diana and she's an archaeologist. So although her death ripples out, it doesn't have that impact I think they were going for. And it's a shame because I think she's a good character. I just don't think time was distributed evenly for her to really make us care. A hundred percent agree. I felt like they also painted her from the very beginning to be kind of like the messed up parent in terms of like, we get it. You're fascinated by Wonder Woman. But at the same time, why is it that you're based? It seems like from the montage, it was indicated that she disregarded her child this entire time in favor of Wonder Woman. So why should I feel sadness over this character now? And for it to be the pushing moment, because at, at this moment, Vanessa decides to decide with the same people who are responsible for creating the firefight that led to the death of her mother, is giving me the same kind of Hank Henshaw, Cyborg Superman kind of vibes, but not in the, as you said, not in a way where the story's being told properly. Yeah, they, they kind of glance over a lot that they could have shown. And I think, I think you guys are already putting together what my RT alteration will be later on, but um, <laughs> some of the beginning parts don't set this moment up effectively. But in any case, Vanessa does go through the procedure. She does become Silver Swan. And in another unintentionally hilarious moment, there's a moment where we see Silver Swan. She has claws, she can fly. She is a threat. She's attacking this base. And she stabs a dude with her claws. And the dude is still talking. I, this guy, is he a metahuman? <laughs> like, Not any longer, because he is dead now. I he know, but gone. his whole chest was open. And he was like, who are you? Making full sentences? Like, God, <laughs> that's dedication to your work, man. I, I wish I, I was that dedicated to anything. This, of course, draws the attention of Diana and Steve when... Steve is not shooting doors open with guns for some reason. They're getting concerned about the rumors they're hearing about with Silver Swan. And it does lead to a great Steve line, admittedly, where Wonder Woman goes, are you worried? And Steve goes, yeah, that's why I'm not dead yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they get a really good opportunity to talk with each other because we also get a cameo at this point of the invisible jet that Wonder Woman has throughout history. So they're on this plane getting ready to jump out and they really have a good heart to heart here about, you know, their kind of relationship. Actually, let me take that back. They did not have a good heart to heart. No, it was pretty lame. (laughs) It was so bad. It was basically all that happened was that Wonder Woman said she's not with Superman anymore. That is it. So uh, I I guess thank you for including that line for us. I feel like Steve Trevor being that you're supposed to be the Justice League ambassador at some point back in the timeline, I feel like you should have known about this. But anyway, they are heading over to the um, to the base where Dr. Poison and Silver Swan are at. They have secured some glowing green cylinder tube. They have taken it into their ship and Silver Swan decides that she's gonna stay behind so that she can fight the opposition so that the team can escape. And that's when we get this crazy fight scene between Silver Swan and Wonder Woman as they're realizing who each other are. And it all ends when Steve Trevor basically shoots Silver Swan. <laughs> oh yeah, he was ready to hit her with the strap right away. But oh yeah. <laughs> he, he decided to hold off, but he didn't knock her out and it was the right thing to do. And I will give this movie credit Every fight scene is awesome. These fight scenes are really yes. well done. This conflict between Steve, Diana, and Swan is really well animated, really tense and, and fun to watch. And after they take care of this and she's knocked out, they decide to seek some external help to see if they can save Silver Swan before it's too late. Shout out to Etta Candy, who is just doing it all because... Not only was she in the beginning of our film helping Diana get settled and basically just, you know, telling us that, hey, you know, you should be a little worried about certain individuals and all that. She also shows her computer skills as she's able to find Veronica Kale as Vanessa is now taken back to the boss that she stole from (laughs) 
to see if she can get any help. And during that time, they realized that the cybernetic parts that Vanessa has now are not being grafted onto her skin, but rather they're growing from within her through this crazy level of nanotech. And that is when one woman realizes that maybe the best thing that can help her is the purple healing ray that we were introduced to in the beginning of our film as they can heal things on the inside. The only problem is they don't know where the thing is. So they decide to do that annoying thing some movies do where you have to follow one step to get to another step. So Diana uses some old text to find a temple where she can have a vision that might tell her where <laughs> the purple <laughs> healing ray is. So they get to this temple and unfortunately, who is waiting for them but Cheetah and not only just regular Cheetah, this is a Cheetah with stock options. She's been given stock <laughs> options if she kills Wonder Woman. So she also, like Gigantic before her, transforms into a super cheetah creature to try to get Wonder Woman out. Yes, we learn about Villainry Incorporated. And I just love that now that Diana's biggest threat is basically villains with a business plan. As Wonder Woman and Cheetah are fighting, uh, Steve and Etta Candy, they are heading into the maze. And the more and more that they're getting through, I, I kind of love this moment because it's just like, Etta is, bless your heart, girl. She's just like, you know, something about all of this seems so familiar. And the reason why is because if you're up on your Greek mythology, you'll know labyrinths do not mix with safe passage as we have the full-on minotaur coming through saying that he needs to protect the fountain at all costs. So now it's up to Steve and Etta to not only escape from the Minotaur, but try to find their way through a labyrinth that many people have gotten lost to throughout the ages. And what do they do? Do they do an elaborate trail of breadcrumbs, a, a, a intellectual game, a riddle? Nope. N none of that. They just make the Minotaur run through some walls. I mean, like, yes. why didn't anybody else think of that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, they say to use your head, but uh, I don't think this is what they really meant. But you know what? Good, good plan. Still through. So now Wonder Woman has made her way. She's met up with them over at the fountain. Real uh, quick, takes... um, Wonder Woman defeats Cheetah by taking her into the dark jet. And apparently that gives her an advantage. I, I don't know what happens there. Did, did you? I did you figure out why that fight ended? <laughs> Except for time? <laughs> so I want to say that maybe because throughout the fight, we saw that Cheetah was really had more area to run around in. And I think maybe by putting her in the jet to fight against her, there wasn't as much area to, to bounce around on. So Wonder Woman was able to track her movements a little bit better. The question that I have, though, is what? how is it that Cheetah just got smaller? Because she reverted back to her normal state right. when Giganta was legit hooked up to, you know, like handcuffs bigger than Bane's back in Batman Hush to be carted away. I... I don't know. I don't know how she shrinks. That's another thing they, they don't bother answering. And they, because they just move on to Wonder Woman meeting up with Etta and Steve. She finds the fountain she needs and she just turns to the Minotaur and is like, bro, shift lead is gone. There's nothing for you to protect. So you're good. And he's like, oh, the Minotaur who can talk English, I guess, um, right. <laughs> learned English while he was stuck in a maze. He just says, cool, um, thank you. And can I live with you guys now? And they're like, sure, whatever. <laughs> and he does. Now, this may sound like I'm hating on him, but this is the most underrated character of the movie. And we'd only get a precious amount of scenes with him after yes. he's free. And I wish they would have used him a little bit more. That's not my full alteration. That's just a petition more Minotaur in future mm -hmm. Wonder Woman films. Yes, yes. We need more of uh, Ferdinand, I believe was his name. Oh, yes, Ferdinand. Decides to call them. They return back to Kale's pharmaceutical company where they shared that they were able to get to the fountain. Wonder Woman was able to get some of the water. And unfortunately, the vision was as helpful as a vision from Dassel Raven because <laughs> now they have to decipher what does it all mean. But they realize, hey, you saw fish. Because they figure 
during Wonder Woman's vision, she mentioned something about fish. So Veronica Kale's like, hey, you know, certain fish only swim in certain parts of the ocean. So if you can think of all the fish you've seen in one section, we can figure out where the island is. What? Right. Also, how long was this vision? Because I swear I saw one fish underwater. I saw a shadow. How did Wonder Woman see she's able to see 17 different fish to choose from and was able to triangulate the location of the mascara based off that? I, and like, look, I know it's an island, a magical island protected by magic. I, we've clearly established this. But if you're dealing with an island, might you not ask your friend Aquaman just to take a look around, just, just to see if there's any spots he can't get to? I think that would have made more sense for her to use her Aquaman contact. Like maybe the fish sparked a conversation where Aquaman's like, oh, look, Atlanteans always try to swim here, but they can't because of the magical barrier. Just a thought. Just a thought. Instead of just saying Finding Nemo found the island of Demascara. Like, God. <laughs> so they're able to find it based off of science. And at that moment, our true villain here, Dr. Cyber, who has been pulling the strings from the background. She interrupts him because she has hacked into the system. And Dr. Cyber has told them that now that they have the location, they're going to go out there. They're going to steal all the Amazonian technology. And Dr. Cyber engages the purification protocol while also waking up Silver Swan. So they have two threats to deal with as Wonder Woman is kept busy with Silver Swan, who is fighting her outside as they're flying about. And then we have Steve, Etta, and Dr. Kale basically trying to run for their lives as the building is closing off to enact these um, germ purification protocol, which is basically flash burn the entire floor. Yeah, and we get a nice, again, a really nice aerial battle between mm -hmm. the Silver Swan and Wonder Woman. The glass is rippling in a really yes. cool way. Like the animation here is really well done as they fight in midair. And I'm like, oh yeah, Wonder Woman can fly. Um, <laughs> I forget. Is it just lasso thunderbolts and clouds? Like no, uh, sometimes <laughs> she actually does things. But their fight is interrupted by the fact that uh, the explosion is going to kill Etta, Steve, and Veronica. So she goes back, saves them just in the nick of time. She saves Steve last, and there's a nice little reversal of you know Superman's always holding Lois, so Wonder Woman holds Steve and carries him gently to the ground. I, I did like that. I did appreciate that little little moment. Yeah, But now they realize they got to get to the mascara quick because Veronica's dying from the cyber virus that turned her into Silver Swan. And Dr. Cyber and her allies are closing in on the island. So Etta says the best line of the movie right Ooh, here yes. before they go. She says, and I quote, hopefully there's an Amazon there who likes them thick. And Wonder Woman goes, if we survive, I will make introductions. Hey, yo, that is a good wing woman. This is the Wonder Woman that we need and we deserve because she is trying to hook up her friend with the hot Amazon. Kudos to you, Wonder Woman. I take yes. back every bad thing I said about you, <laughs> not your movie. <laughs> <laughs> and as they're flying over to Themyscira now, Edda talks to Steve and tells him that, listen, we may not survive this. So uh, if you're going to shoot your shot, it's now time to shoot your shot. He heads over to Wonder Woman, they talk, and they share a passionate kiss for the first time in this universe as they are now heading over to their impending doom because they see that another ship is there blasting off rockets and missiles at the front door of Themyscira and the, and the island as we see that Dr. Cyber, Silver Swan, and Dr. Poison are all in there with the glowing green tube as well. At this moment, um, the Amazons are fighting against them. They are shooting their bows and arrows. And I got to say, like, they, I don't know what's in these, what's in these arrows, but they, they were actually doing some damage. Oh, yeah. These arrows are gonna <laughs> probably mess up some tanks if you really wanted them to. Word. And as they're fighting, Dr. Cyber reveals that it's time to release the plan. This is one of my biggest issues with the movie. The plan was that... They were steal this glowing green tube, which housed another mythical being by the name of Medusa. Right. 
the plan was to have to have control over Medusa to then open the doors and give them a straight shot into Themyscira so they could take all the technology. Yet no one asked, is it possible to control Medusa? Spoiler, the answer is no. And yeah, this climax, what even hurts this climax before it even starts, like right before we get to Medusa, Steve turns to Wonder Woman and says, why are you worried? It's not like we're dealing with Darkseid. This is like a third of Darkseid. Bro, do oh not downplay God. the threat of your own movie. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh, God. What are you doing? It's uh, already... Steve like, Trevor had too many lines in this film, honestly. He did. That goatee, <laughs> once he had the goatee, I was done with him. But, so he's... They're going into this threat. Medusa grows larger because we don't care. And you don't either. She's just large now. And she's absolutely wrecking Amazons, turning everybody into stone. Diana's mother decides to close the doors to Themyscira to prevent Medusa from getting in, leaving Wonder Woman on the outside with Vanessa and her friends. And she still wants to fight Medusa. Even though Medusa can look at her once and turn her into stone, Wonder Woman still has a determination to take on this giant snake lady. And unfortunately, in the middle of everything, Steve gets stoned and not in a good way. Yes, this sends Wonder Woman into a frenzy as the two of them, Wonder Woman and Medusa, are really now going blow for blow. And again, I love this animation in this fight. Like, yo, I a lot I, you can tell a lot of dedication and time was put into animating these fights and really kind of writing them out. Because there's one scene in which Medusa pretty much treats Wonder Woman like a skip it. <laughs> she took her foot. <laughs> stomped on her and then dragged her in a full like neji about to hit you with the palm strike during this battle we also find out that medusa not only has turned to stone a lot of the people who brought her here such as she's killed off dr cyber she's killed off dr poison she also has the ability to compel people after she has bitten them with the snakes on her head one person that got bit was silver swan and in a last desperate attempt wonder woman tries once again to talk to vanessa to talk about the journey that they've been on to talk about the fact that she is sorry for the way that her mother treated her this entire time and it does seem to register this time for vanessa as she is facing impending doom because medusa is forcing her to turn around to get turned to stone just like the others but like silver swan wonder woman also was bit by these snakes so Wonder Woman has to do the one thing in order to save everybody. And that is to take one of the snakes that she had cut off and pour the venom acid into her eyes, permanently blinding her for the rest of this fight. And this is when the music gets lit. Like this music turns all the way up as Diana is fighting Medusa blind and her bravery inspires silver swan to snap out of the whole angry about wonder woman i want to kill wonder woman but Mm -hmm. um and they team up to take down medusa once and for all and we don't need to say it animation's great watch all these fights they're all great Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and well diana's mom watches and does nothing Uh, (laughs) just (laughs) offers no advice no help no arrows from above nothing so they come out with a very close win, and at this moment, at, in the, the throes of victory, Diana's mother recognizes the sacrifice, the, the earnestness that her daughter has, hits her with a little extra that purple healing ray to get her sight back to... And, the ultimate LASIK. Oh yeah, the <laughs> ultimate. This is advanced LASIK right here. She heals Silver Swan, and it gets two women, as promised. <laughs> And as abruptly as this movie started, it smash cut to the end with Wonder Woman saying, let the games begin. What games? What games? What games? What are we talking about? Did they ever talk about games at any point of this movie? <laughs> yeah, credits are rolling. That is our film. But then we get a post credit scene here, as we must do in the DC AMU with Wonder Woman 
kicking down the door to the office of Dr. Veronica Kale, who reveals to her that she now knows that Dr. Kale was Dr. Cyber this entire time. And in a villainous rant, she says, you know, I've always wanted to know about the technology of Themyscira because I knew they would always compete against what I had. But now I have an opportunity to keep on going whenever I want because I know where it is. Diana tells her that, hey, you can, you can do so. But I brought you back something. And that is that my mom is now okay with me being the champion of Themyscira no matter where I am. So in a power move, unlike anything I've ever seen, Diana takes her sword, plunges it into the desk of Dr. Kale and tells her, if you want to come for me, to try to come for the throne, you're going to need a weapon, but it ain't going to help you. And walks away. It is a ridiculously badass scene. And I am, I'm just so glad that they follow up on this Oh, wait, they don't because the universe is over. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. This is a great, it's, and honestly, it's a really badass scene. And in any other circumstance, I would love it. But the fact mm-hmm. is, there is only one more movie left in this universe, and this will never be addressed again. Yes. We will never see this character again. So that post credit scene was nice, but nothing in the end. Um, let's let's not let's not delay it any longer how many villains that can randomly grow to larger sizes but it doesn't help their cause <laughs> at all would you give wonder woman bloodlines out of 10 for the first time ever i have two ratings as a standalone film i will give this a five out of ten mainly because there are too many villains there are way too many villains that were introduced to their stories concluded poorly they were, they were really created just to die. And again, we don't know, we have a sense of when this timeline exists, but where in the film does it, act, where in our universe does it actually play in? We don't know that. And because of that, within this universe, I have to rank it even lower with a four out of 10 because everything about the fights and the animation was great. But when you dedicate so much effort towards you know, basically the barely passing mark of storytelling, this is what gives you a low score. I was disappointed to see that we have a Wonder Woman film that did not treat the character well, nor did it treat her side characters and her the people who she has to face off against well either. Like we spent too much time on animation, which is something I never thought I would say. I love the animation <laughs> in this film, but there was more time and effort and heart put into the animation than there was in the storytelling. Yes, I I try to be consistent about ratings, so let me put this on the record. If this rating is lower than Bad Blood, then Bad Blood gets knocked down lower. Um, but I'm gonna give Wonder Woman Bloodlines a four out of 10 as well. The key issue with this movie where it rippled out and never recovered from is there is not enough contrast with Diana's character. We Mm -hmm. do not get to see much of Diana before she goes out into the world and becomes Wonder Woman. So her journey seems flat. She just seems like she's a character created to do good that does good things because it's a good thing to do. And Superman movies learned how to cope with this by having his problems not just be punch, punch, punch. He was dealing with serious issues. He was dealing with life-threatening things. Doomsday was going to wreck the Earth if Superman did not give his life. It's not just about him being good. It's about him saving the life of everybody around him. Yes. So Wonder Woman, by lowering the stakes so low to limit them to Themyscira, who we don't have a connection to because she was there for five minutes in this film, it was a big mistake because we don't know what she's really sacrificing. And as cool as blinding herself and getting instantly healed is, what we wanted to see was her give up something. And she gets everything. Vanessa is fine in the end. Sure, Julia is still dead, but again, we didn't really get to invest in that much in Julia. So, yeah, these, these character arcs just don't work because we don't get the groundwork. 
So my RTA alteration, and it's cheating because it would be a lot of alterations in one. <laughs> but I would have us spend a half hour on Themyscira and we reverse instead of her meeting Julia and Vanessa in the world, Julia and Vanessa crash land on Themyscira. The first portion of this movie is focused on Julia and Vanessa getting to know the customs, getting to know Wonder Woman. Vanessa slowly realizing she can be trained as a warrior and become something else than just an archeologist. The mother's going crazy about everything on the island. And then a villain kills Julia. That takes Wonder Woman out into the world. Not a random parademon, not Steve Trevor. It's a villain killing Julia. And she goes out in the world with Vanessa, stops the villain. And this is where the rest of the movie goes because Wonder Woman is so important now. She's the one who neglects Vanessa. She's the bad mother figure in this movie. That's what drives Vanessa to becoming Silver Swan. And because we spent 30 minutes with just her and Vanessa together, we have an emotional investment if Vanessa lives, dies from a virus or anything, and we feel the sense of betrayal and Vanessa's motivations will make sense. She wants to kill Wonder Woman because she lost everything because of Wonder Woman and she's too clouded by rage to see the truth. I, that's how I think we make bloodlines work. Yeah, I like that idea, especially because, again, just going back to Vanessa, we have her going all in with the same people that killed her family, that killed her mother. You know, the one source that she had to still connect herself to this world because she didn't care for Diana. She envied her. She didn't want her anywhere around her. They never built this sisterly bond that they tried to put forward to us, I, I'm guessing, but it wasn't there. And I agree, we should have spent more time with really building out their relationship it feels like they just really wanted to bring forward that there's somebody who's jealous of her and it, it didn't come across well. I think this is something that happens a lot, unfortunately. Like, I feel like we need to not always have it be that Wonder Woman's villains are created because they are jealous of her. No, I, I agree. It's, it's, it's very samey. It happened in Wonder Woman 1984 mm -hmm. <laughs> with, with Cheetah. Her, a lot of her character was motivated by her jealousy of Diana. The first movie got this right with Dr. Poison. Dr. Poison, what she had to do was nothing with Diana. Of course, they came right. into conflict naturally, but Dr. Poison was doing her own thing. So there are good Wonder Woman movies out there. I, I love the character. I know you love the character. She is very good when she's utilized properly in stories. And this story that is built around her was such a letdown because they could have done so much with it but mm -hmm. they kind of stuck to the hits. Like Uncle Ben getting shot and like Batman's parents dying. We know Wonder Woman left the mascara. We don't need another iteration of this. So next Wonder Woman movie, skip to the end. Let's see what happens after she leaves the island and just go straight there. No more Wonder Woman origin stories. No more random cybernetic villains. Let's see Wonder Woman out there as a hero, truly freelancing. The next time around yes and speaking of freelancers here's a word from our affiliate partner fiverr do you need a freelancer to help you with your website or wordpress site or an expert presentation designer to help with that big work project or maybe you just need someone to write expert articles and blogs for that website look no further than the number one freelance marketplace fiverr you can find designers programmers and more for seconds some for as low as five dollars per gig fiverr is the ideal tool to help you with your pressing projects just post your gig or search for freelancers and you're off to the races don't deal with the hassle of finding freelancers yourself. Let Fiverr help you. See the link in the description of this episode to get started. Please note that yet another DC animated podcast is an affiliate partner of Fiverr. We may receive commissions on purchases and services you buy after you click the link below. These commissions help support the growth of yet another DC animated podcast. So we appreciate your continued support. That was our film and a little bit more about affiliate partner Fiverr. Now it's time to dive into that comic book knowledge, which today is going to be very limited because... Honestly, we had just watched a 20-minute prequel part of Wonder Woman's origin. We saw her film back in 2017, right? Yeah, 2017 yeah. is her, yeah, the first one. Yep. Yeah, 2017. And we also have a, actually we'll say a really great, probably even better animated film that premiered back in 2009 that Rosario Dawson was also a part of. So today I'm just really going to be focusing in on Wonder Woman's journey from her creation to her 
her impact now and hopefully some things about her in the future as today's common book knowledge is now called It's a Wonderful Life, Woman. Ah, yes, yes. All right. I see what you did there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm adding a little bit of sarcasm to that because, you know, we have a heroine here. So the journey of every heroine is tough, especially for being a comic book character. So we're going to start off with her first appearance in All-Star Comics number eight back in December of 1941. She then became a lead character in Sensation Comics number one, which actually dropped the following month. And then by 1942, she got her first solo comic titled with her own name. So that is a great journey to be a character that was created and getting your own story, own title series in basically a year. Like a lot of other characters haven't accomplished a feat quite like that. She was created by psychologist William Moulton Marston and Harry G. Peter. So Marston, he is the co-creator of the systolic blood pressure lie detector so that is why the lasso of truth is a very big weapon that one woman has in her arsenal because he was very much interested in being able to determine when a person is lying. Now, I mentioned that it was Marston and Harry that Harry G. Peter who helped to create Wonder Woman, but it was actually way more than that. And I want to give credit really to where credit is due. Elizabeth Williams' wife, was the reason why that Wonder Woman is a woman. William wanted to create a hero that fought wars, not with their fist or with firepower, but with love. This was at a time that we had Batman, Superman, Green Lantern, all these big heroes out there fighting the fight with technology and heavy machinery. Marston wanted to put together the Wonder Woman comic because He was also working on a psychological concept with his wife, another great leader in the works of psychology. And this concept was called DISC. It is a concept that's broken down as dominance, inducement, submission, and compliance. He learned that there was easier ways to convey his idea in artwork than it would be to just go out on a lecture series, especially after he was struggling to find work. And the reason why he was struggling to find work is because he went through a whole entire experience where he um, engaged in a illicit polyamorous relationship okay. with a student of his. Yes. And this student is Olive Byrne. She wore actually fun fact bracelets that we see Wonder Woman wearing. And that was the inspiration of them. Marston saw that Olive was the best version that they could have for a design of Wonder Woman. So they took that image over to H.G. Peter, who was an illustrator for a newspaper, and they were able to create the comics in that way. That's crazy. <laughs> like that yes. whole thing, the whole journey of like, you get one of the most iconic heroines through a story that's equally as fascinating and interesting. It makes me want to check out this movie now <laughs> and see how it all went down. Yeah, and given the history of everything that they have went through with the creation of this character, most people at that time, being it was the 40s, uh, might have written her off because of just the the journey that the Marstons had to go through with their own relationships and their work and and their own downfalls at time. But Wonder Woman truly grew to become such a cultural icon. You know, we were talking about before how Superman is basically the the symbol of the American ideal and all that. But Wonder Woman was really more of a symbol of the people. She really embodied truth, justice, and love. Marston had a belief that 100 years from his time, during the time of Wonder Woman's first inception and her creation, he believed that in the future, we will live in a matriarchal society. So I believe that maybe what he was trying to do with his comics here was trying to show how well this can actually go. Where we have with Paradise Island, we have how this world of the Amazons and how they interact, how they build their society, their culture, and how that can intertwine very much with the culture and the society of man's land. As I mentioned, Wonder Woman was first introduced back in the 40s. So right at that time, we were definitely dealing with uh, the Second World War. And now we had two amazing feminist icons of Rosie the Riveter and Wonder Woman. These two characters really helped to bring forward to women that, you know, you can be this amazing hero and this tough as nails character 
and still be seen as an Amazon, a princess, and a goddess. So that led to a wave of women joining the workforce, to women stepping out and operating in fields that men normally had dominated. Wonder Woman really helped to create a golden age mindset for women back during this time. A lot of the advancements in terms of the feminist movement can be credited to just the impact that Wonder Woman had and her stories had on the individuals who were reading them at the time. Yeah, and it still ripples out so much. Even a couple of years ago, I think one of the comic writers had said that she was canonically bisexual, even though I know there's some debate about this. But I remember that being really a watershed moment for a lot of people. So Wonder Woman is in a lot of ways, so much more than the character. Uh, she's, a, she's an icon of like an ideal of what the, the best, the optimum could be if allowed to shine and given the right tools and support how far women can, can go and should be able to go at any time. And every person should have this opportunity, but Wonder Woman represents what happens when you get to that, that peak, that culmination of all these, these hopes and wishes for the future. Yes, exactly. And that's just the amazing thing about Wonder Woman, too, because at a time of her creation as well, every hero kind of has some has some kind of superpower of some sort. I mean, outside of Batman, Wonder Woman showed women and I'm pretty sure she showed a lot of other people as well that even though she has these superpowers, you can be a hero and you don't have to necessarily be overpowered or have any kind of crazy ability to do so. You can just train yourself to be at this level. So that also really introduced the mindset that, you know, you don't have to be super to be a hero. You can be go out there and do something to help somebody else in need. Unfortunately, this mindset was targeted very much once the war has ended. Men started to come back home. So that meant that they wanted their jobs back, which meant that that also influenced the way that people were writing and distributing stories about Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman, who was always pictured prior to this, breaking out of chains and also, you know, carrying Steve Trevor away from harm. There is a lot of moments now that they shifted the way that she was drawn, the way that she was depicted on her cover photos. Her comics turned more into a romance kind of style. She was seen writing love letters or now being picked up by Steve in this time around and even more and more just being targeted. It really kind of came full circle during uh, 1954 when a psychiatrist by the name of Frederick Worthman decided that he was going to attack comics. So I think as we all remember back in our Batman Hush episode, we're talking about there was a point during the 50s in which female characters were targeted in the comics. Wonder Woman received the brunt of that because under Worthman's book called The Seduction of the Innocent, he felt that much like how most people talk about with video games and other things, that comics were rotting and twisting the minds of the, of the children and making them more violent and possibly more deviant. He went out and basically said that what she is doing is showing our kids that it's okay to be a lesbian and therefore turning our kids into lesbians. That's how it works. One look at Wonder yeah. Woman and boom, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and this unfortunately led to a lot of angry parents. This took a drastic turn and honestly, it set many women back throughout history. But thankfully, we got a change later on in the years but we still had to deal with the 70s. The 70s were bad, y'all, when it comes to Wonder Woman, because during this time, Wonder Woman was officially stripped of her powers. She renounced the title of Wonder Woman. She renounced the title of Princess of Themyscira and decided to become a fashion designer. And every single one of her comic book covers depicted her either in peril or crying, which it unfortunately led to just a lot of people not being interested in her books anymore and just furthered on the, the mission of the patriarchy. I'm going to say it as it is. The patriarchy won, unfortunately, in this round. Yeah, we suck. Yeah. <laughs> Fortunately, though, thanks for the help of the feminist movement, Wonder Woman was able to get on the cover of Miss Magazine. During this time, they really took the charge and decided that, no, we're going to fight against the betrayal of Wonder Woman and how she's being shown right now. And ultimately, the feminist movement won here. 
because DC decided to not only give back Wonder Woman her power and the way that her comic stories are being told, but we were also introduced to Nubia, the Amazon who also takes up the Wonder Woman title and is also a Black woman. So we have some diversity that happened here. Thanks to the feminist movement. Very thankful for all of that to happen. Thank you for your hard work out there because Nubia is a really great character to have introduced and also it led to other characters and other Amazons to be put forward into the comic book pages as well. It's always nice to see when characters are added, not just to fill the ranks of diversity, not just so you have a full team of diverse Power Rangers, but you're actually gonna explore and see where their origins connect with the mythos. So yeah, kudos to these, these changes over the years. Wonder Woman had a crazy life, but she kept on going in terms of her character development. I'm very happy to see how she's been moving forward over these years because she really helped to motivate a lot of cultural movements that we had. After this 70s debacle that we had and the change that happened here, she became an image and an icon for the Riot Girl movement that happened as well. So very influenced in the punk rock scenes that came out. And many people felt motivated to just have her out there and be their champion, just like she told us that she is. And to have it be that Wonder Woman is motivating a lot of individuals now and to still even tackle so many things. Like she opened the door to creating more female-led stories. Because of her and also the TV show where Linda Carter played her, we were able to get Charlie's Angels and the Bionic Woman. Just from those two shows alone, there are so many great stories that happened there and so many people that were influenced because you're hearing women share that they're leaders in NASA or they're going to MIT and they're just creating a lot of great technology and creating a lot of great other movements out there. They're contributing to the art world. They're contributing to science, technology, education, arts, mathematics. They're doing all of this. And it was all thanks to Wonder Woman. And what we need now is no longer, as you said, Andrew, we don't need any more origins. We don't need any more prequels. We need to continue the story. We have finished the book here. We're done. Where's book two? Where's Nubia? Where's Donna Troy, who has made an appearance in this universe? You know, we would love to see some more of her. And, you know, we are, we, we need to see maybe another Amazon that we had out there, Artemis. These are stories of individuals who can help further along Wonder Woman's journey, but we don't have them yet because it seems like we're just stuck on trying to reintroduce Wonder Woman to the world when she's been here for a minute. We can no longer call it a comeback. Yeah, it's it's high time that we get more focus on her. We've gotten the Batman movies. We like some of them. We don't like the other ones. We got five million. It's time for Wonder Woman to get another one that properly does her justice. Unlike this one, let's get a Wonder Woman movie that really lives up to her wonderful title and really honors the character and what she stands for. Yes, and unfortunately, it will not be our next film. Nope. Um, <laughs> There's no time. But on the flip side, our next film is like the Infinity War, like Spider-Man 2, the culmination of the greatest parts of your comic book series. Yes, Spider-Man 3, we don't talk about it. So the next time we're coming at you, we're finishing... We're finishing this whole thing, this whole journey we've, we've gone on with one last outing into this universe. And it's going to be apocalyptic. Oh, yes. Because as we saw at the end of the reign of the Superman, we're taking the fight to Uxus. No more, sir. Join us next time as we talk about Justice League Dark apocalypse war and until then take care of yourselves and um, don't don't go into any mazes and if someone offers you a potion that'll make you grow but give you the same abilities that give you no advantage in battle just say no just say no
Now that we've finished talking about our DC animated content, here are some recommended readings for you. All these comics and more can be found at your local comic shop, so remember to venture out and support your part of the source wall, and tell them Andrew and Shamar sent you. The first comic on our list is Wonder Woman Earth 1. This origin story written by Grant Morrison in 2016 gives us some more time with Wonder Woman and Themyscira. She's written to be a more feminist character and it truly helped to set the tone for her future stories. Next we have Wonder Woman Eyes of the Gorgon. We just saw this mythological being in our film and his 2005 story by Greg Rucka sees Wonder Woman facing off once again against Medusa. Even better, this comic shows the extent of Wonder Woman's political thinking and how strategic she truly is. Finally, we have Wonder Woman Gods of Gotham. Normally we say that there are way too many Batman stories, but this one might be an exception. In this 80s comic by J.M. DeMattis and Phil Jimenez, Wonder Woman heads up to Gotham and teams up with the Bat family when the children of Ares start possessing members of Gotham's most wanted list. That's all for our list. Thank you for listening and be sure to rate, review, and follow yet another DC animated podcast. Also, interact with us on social media for news on upcoming content. Take care and we'll see you for the next issue.